but it makes a really crummy way of life. Don't, don't emulate Pac-Man. Don't live your life just consuming, expecting to, to fulfill you. It doesn't work. That's what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. And uh, last week in this series, we said we're starting to turn from the theoretical to the practical. And we started with some words of wisdom that were uh, kind of crazy, a little bit odd, definitely unconventional, because we talked about how God's economy is unlike world economies, how God's economy is an inverted or upside-down economy. World economies are based on scarcity, but God's economy is based on, do you remember? Abundance, right? Uh, abundance, yeah. And so uh, we talked about that last week, and, and we were digging into the Proverbs just to some really like meaty, wise words. Uh, and, and because of that, all week I've been thinking about other words of wisdom that, uh, that I've heard throughout my life that I just kind of like, and I thought I'd share a few of them with you uh, for fun today. Uh, here's the first one. Uh, don't smoke too much, drink too much, eat too much, or work too much. We're all on the road to the grave, but there's no need to be in the passing lane. It's good for me. I, I learned how to drive outside of Detroit, Michigan, so uh, I like the passing lane. Uh, that's, that's all I'll say. Um, uh, next one. Always drink upstream from the herd. <laughs> for those of you who maybe you know, haven't been around herds much or drunk from streams, uh, it's kind of like saying don't eat the yellow snow. You know what that one is, right? Yeah, uh, same idea. Good advice. Very good advice. Uh, how about this one? Be wary of strong drink. It can make you shoot at tax collectors and miss. I, I don't know what that one means exactly. I don't, you know, but I just liked it because it had drinking and guns together. And that always makes for an interesting time, if not a good time. Um, I, <laughs> how about this one? No husband has ever been shot while doing the dishes. Man, that is a good word of wisdom for you. And that's why if you inspect my hands, I've got dishpan hands because uh, it's, a, it's a life insurance policy that I, that I have. Um, I, li- I like this one too. I've got three little kids. So uh, children, children seldom misquote you. In fact, they usually repeat word for word exactly what you shouldn't have said, right? Yeah, you've all tried it before. What? I don't know where she gets these things. <laughs> we know. We know exactly where she gets those things. That's, that's the problem. But, you know, you ask her to say please or thank you. Nuh-uh. No, I'm not going to say that. Uh, and here's the last one. Uh, if you want to feel rich, just count all the things you have that money can't buy. That's a nice awe one, isn't it? Can you give me a big awe? Awe. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that last week. As we talked about God's economy being an economy of abundance, uh, we said, hey, uh, write down 10 things every day uh, that you're thankful for. No repeats. Share them with other people so that you can begin to see all the great things that you have in life that money can't buy. And pretty soon you start to realize that there's more abundance than scarcity in our lives. Um, You know, so this week, I I was inspired by all the wisdom last week. This week, we want to go back to God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs. So if you want to take out your smartphone or your uh, Bible and go to Proverbs 22 right now in the Pew Bibles we have at 647. If you're online, you can open up another browser window or just listen along. Proverbs 22. Starting at verse 7. This is a book all about wisdom. Just great wisdom for life. But it's inspired wisdom. And uh, we're going to look at some in a second. As as you're flipping there, I just want to share with you a few of the Proverbs that come up in the earlier part of this chapter. Um, Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. I like that one, right? Uh, To have a good reputation, to be a person of character, that's better than being wealthy. Or it says this, rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is maker of them all, right? We're not all that different. Here's one that uh, that you may have heard in your life. 
It's verse 6. It says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not return from it. Those of us who are raising kids, we hope that's true, because there's a lot of work of, of investing and reinforcing, and, and this proverb says, hey, if you, if you invest, if you sow those seeds, um, even, even though you may feel uncertain about how it's all going, someday there'll be a harvest. Uh, and then we get to Proverbs 22, verse 7. It says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. We sort of talked about that last week. But if you go back to the beginning of of that uh, section, Proverbs 22, verse 7, you'll see a little bit of advice that is controversial, and yet it's true. And the advice or counsel is this. It says, be careful about putting yourself under the authority of someone who is rich. In other words, be careful about indebting yourself to someone Because if you do, you're opening yourself up to abuse. There's a warning there to to wealthy people who who maybe have that position and they've got power over people. And it says, hey, you be careful how you wield your authority because if you're too strict, if you're too mean, if if you're unkind, you will have to answer to God for that someday. But but rich or poor, there's a piece of advice there in uh, the second half of verse 7 that can apply to all of us here today. Here it is. It says, the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. Does that sound a little bit melodramatic to anyone else? Right, the borrower, being in debt is being in slavery, really? Doesn't that sound a little bit over the top? And yet, here's what I need you to know. I, I need you to know that God was, was very, very serious. You know, back, back in the Old Testament when these words were written, God was very, very serious about warning people from the dangers of debt. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, God created this whole system for people to live by. It was, it was a, a civil system with government and rules and courts, and it was a religious system. But there was also an economic component to it. And God was so concerned about people living under debt that, that he actually created a way for them to get out of it. Uh, it's a fascinating concept. If you want to read about it, you can read about it in Leviticus 25. Uh, it's called the Year of Jubilee. Here's what I'll say, though. If you've never um, actually opened the Bible and read it, you're missing out. You should absolutely try it. Um, use this version app that we have, and it'll help you find a Bible reading plan. Uh, even if you don't fully believe the Bible is 100% true, read it, and you will be surprised about how truthful it is in your life. But if you're going to read the Bible, don't start in Leviticus, okay? Um, it is a crazy book. It will blow your mind, and uh, just, I, I don't know that you should, should start there. It's kind of confusing. But if you want to read Leviticus 25, you're going to find out more about this thing called the year the year of Jubilee. Basically what this is about is, is God said that, that once a year, every 50 years, so every 50th year, the debts of all the people living in the land of Israel would be canceled. So, so your debts would be wiped out. If you had sold property, which was kind of the main asset of, of those days, if you had sold property because you had to get out of debt, every 50th year the property would revert back to the original owner. Every 50th year, if, if you were a person who got yourself so deeply into debt, back in those days you couldn't, you know, you couldn't get into bankruptcy or get yourself out that way, uh, you actually would have to hire yourself out as an indentured servant, basically as a slave to another family. You'd have to work for them, or if you didn't want to work, I guess you could sell your wife or kids. Uh, you, you know, it's not a bad way to go, right? Um, that's why you have kids, right? To 
do dishes and mow the lawn and, you know, no, I'm kidding. Um, so if, if you were in the ancient world and you got into debt, that's what you have to do. You have to sell someone into slavery. But God set it up so that during the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, all the people who were enslaved would be set free. See, see God, for God, this idea of living life under a lifetime of debt, it was inconceivable. He could not stomach the idea that, that people, people he created for freedom and life and abundance would find themselves living under debt for a lifetime. Take it a step further. This idea of generational debt, and some of you know what that's like. Generation after generation after generation of debt handed down rather than legacies of, of you know, inheritances or assets, but debt handed down. That idea to God was so detestable that he could not stomach it. And so he created this system where everything would be wiped clean. Once every 50 years, all the ledger balances would go back to zero, and everyone would have freedom again. See, for God, this issue of debt is a very, very serious thing. It was back in the Old Testament, and it still is today. Now, now what you need to see about God, uh, hopefully from the year of Jubilee you see it, is that God is a realist. You know, he's kind of an idealist. He would love us never to be in debt, but he's also a realist. He understands that sometimes in life, debt is going to be necessary. It's going to be unavoidable for for some of us. But, But he warns us that every time, each and every time we enter ourselves into a debt relationship, we are putting ourselves in danger. God says every time you go into debt, be careful, it could get ugly. But here's the thing about us sitting here today. We have stopped believing that's true as a society, right? Uh, maybe your grandparents, your great-grandparents, they, they warned you about debt, and they were people who were very serious about it. But, but for, for us today, I mean, debt, really? It's nothing to sweat. It's not really a big deal, is it? Everyone has it. It's just something you live with. It's a part of life. See, I, I think in our part of the world, we have lost a healthy sense of fear when it comes to debt. Do you know what I mean by a healthy sense of fear? Uh, I, I don't mean like a phobia. I don't mean like a total aversion. But I mean, I mean a healthy sense of fear, like a respect for the danger of debt. Sort of like um, when, when a dog that you don't know comes running at you, right, when you're outside. I don't care how much of a pet lover you are. If you bend down and go, come here, scruffy. Like, you don't have a healthy sense of fear. You're putting yourself in danger. You should probably be a little more careful. Uh, sharp objects. Or uh, loaded weapons or any weapon, you know, like, you, you don't have to fear them, but be careful. I tell my kids, you know, they want to cut their own apples, and I'm like, be careful, you know, you could be this. And, uh, and healthy sense of fear, right? Not a phobia. I don't want them to be afraid of sharp objects and to be trying to cut things with, with forks or, you know, spoons or something. But, like, a healthy sense of fear when it comes to things in life. Um, doing electrical work around your house, Right? Electrical work's not that hard, no offense to you electricians, but um, you should still have a healthy sense of fear before you go, oh, honey, I'll change that dining room light, no problem. Have a healthy sense of fear. Do yourself a favor. See, we don't have to have a phobia when it comes to debt, but, but we should have a healthy sense of fear. We should respect the danger of debt. But all the signs of us as a people point to the fact that we have lost that healthy sense of fear. True? Uh, this year there were some stats released, and this is just from one source. Every source has slightly different numbers, but they're all pretty close. That says that the average person in America has credit card debt of $15,000. Uh, 
a mortgage debt of over $150,000 and student loan debt of $32,000. Now, here's what happened as I read those numbers. Some of you breathed a great sigh of relief. You were like, I'm not that bad. I'm actually, I'm actually you know, better than normal here. I've got less debt than that. And, and you feel good, and, and you should. But, but probably an equal or greater number of you, as I read those numbers, you felt a little bit of panic start to rise up in your gut. Because you're like, I wish my mortgage was only $150,000. It's way more than that. I, I wish my student loans were only that amount. You're thinking right now, why did I bother coming to church today? See, I, I knew I shouldn't have come. It was rainy. The time changed. Why did I show up? I didn't need to hear this. I didn't want to see this reminder that, that I'm, in, I'm in too deep. And, and some of you, you're sitting here during all of this, and you're, you're probably like the finance majors in the room, or you're the business majors, and you maybe even have an NBA, MBA or something. Not NBA, but MBA. Uh, you, you could have your NBA, but uh, none of you are tall enough. But uh, you probably have your MBA, and, and, uh, and you're thinking right now, you're thinking, no, 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 man, this guy's all crazy. You know, debt can be a good thing if it's cheap debt, if you leverage it the right way. Debt's not really that dangerous. Only, only fools get in trouble with debt. And if, and if that's you, if you're still not convinced that debt can be a dangerous thing, I want you to run an experiment. I want you to lend someone in your life, preferably a family member, I want you to lend them a lot of money just for fun. And, uh, and watch how that begins to change things. You know, see if that person comes around as much uh, after you lend them that money. Or, or watch how that even changes you. Watch how suddenly you become way too interested in everything going on in their life, right? You'd be checking them out, you'd be like, are those highlights in your hair? Have you, have you been getting spray tans? Where, where did you go last weekend? I'm sorry, how did you afford that, Right? Why? Because that's your money they're spending all of a sudden. Even if you think that debt doesn't cause slavery, if you think Proverbs 22 is too extreme, you have to acknowledge that it changes the nature of relationships. That the moment you lend money to something else, the relationship becomes unequal. They feel inferior, you feel haughty and judgmental, it happens. Or, or if, if you don't believe that, uh, let me ask you this. When, when you get a bill in the mail, credit card bill, mortgage notice, car loan notice, or, you know, it, it follows you everywhere. You go to your inbox, you go to your Gmail inbox, and, and you say, bill due in seven days. Or any of you like, woohoo! No? Yeah, me neither, right? Why not? I mean, shouldn't we be like, I live in this great house. I'm so excited to pay for it. No. Not, not even close. What do we feel instead? We're like... Okay, all right, these are my obligations, I'll pay them, but it'd be nice someday not to have to pay these things, right? So you're starting to feel the weight of debt. And if you've never, uh, you know, experienced that, maybe maybe you've talked to someone on the flip side who's uh, become debt-free recently. I've got a friend, they've just become debt-free, totally debt-free without their mortgage. And I look at her and her whole countenance has changed. I look at her and I'm like, there's something different between her and I. She's a lot lighter and freer than I am. The closest I ever got to that, by the way, um, I, was at my, uh, I was at my first church. I'm not anywhere near debt-free, but um, I was at my first church. I was about a year out of school. And, uh, and to be a pastor in our, in our denomination, you've got to go to school for eight years, four years college, four years of graduate school, seminary. So I, I, had, I had an okay amount of debt for eight years of school. Uh, but I was working. I was trying to get my family started. It was a little burdensome. And, um, and I was, I was uh, in my first year, it was a Sunday morning. We had just finished our early service. And I was kind of in a back room getting reset for the second service. And this guy walks in, uh, who I knew, and, and he walks in and he says, he says, hey, uh, do you have a second? 
Now, for those of you who are non-pastors, um, when someone comes up to you after a church service and goes, do you have a second? It's usually not a good sign. Um, you know, usually they heard something in the message that they believe is heresy and they're going to talk about getting a lynch mob to burn you at a stake before dinner. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a good sign. And so I'm thinking, oh, you know, and you got another service to do and the last thing you want is to be yelled at and then go and talk to people and to try to be happy and nice. You know, you're like, okay, um, I got just a minute. And uh, he comes into the room I'm at and he closes the door and I think, oh no, <laughs> um, what did I say? What did I do? And he says to me, he says, um, you know, I, I hear that you've got a fair amount of, uh, of loan debt for your student loans. And I said, it's, it's not bad because I'd been working through school. I'd been trying to pay loans down actually while I was in school. And uh, at the time I had about $14,000 in uh, student loans. And uh, it wasn't a whole lot, but to me it, it felt, felt weighty and and, uh, and he says, yeah, okay, $14,000, huh? Uh, he asked me how much. I said fourteen, and, and he says, um, me and my wife would like to take care of that for you. I said, what? You know, <laughs> what, what do you mean, take care of that for me? And he said, uh, let me talk to my accountant. I don't know exactly. It might take a year or two, but, um, you know, send me, send me some of your statements, and, uh, and we'll talk about it. But we're going to handle that for you. I don't want you to worry about that. And he walked out the door. And I was like, what just happened, right? Um, blown away. I couldn't wait to get home and tell my wife. I'm like, I, I, you know, I don't know what this is all about. I don't know if this is real. And, and he followed through two years later, uh, paid off all my student loans. Um, in that moment, can I tell you how much lighter I felt? See, if, if you've ever experienced that, you know the power of debt because the moment it's been taken away, or at least some of it has, you feel it. Your, your whole soul gets a little lighter. Now, here's what I know. Some of you are sitting here today and you're going, man, why doesn't anyone ever do that for me? <laughs> and I understand. But here's what you just acknowledged. You acknowledge that debt isn't as small in your life as you pretend that it is. You've just acknowledged that debt has more power in your life than you, than you usually admit. And so here's what I want to do today. Now that you're in that place, I want to get really practical with you. And I want to begin to help you find, uh, begin to help you find freedom from some of the, the burden and the oppression. And even as Proverbs 22 would say, the slavery that debt brings into your life. And uh, I'm going to just give you some practical stuff. Some of it is, is, is very biblical. Some of it is common sense. A lot of it is from, uh, from the teaching of different financial teachers, one of them whom, of whom is uh, Dave Ramsey, a great guy, Financial Peace University. Uh, and I'm going to share these with you, and I want you to write them down, and I'll try to move quickly. Uh, the first one is this. Stop the cycle of slavery. Stop the cycle of slavery. In other words, stop incurring new debt. This is really basic, Right? If you ever want to get out of debt, you've got to stop yourself from going deeper into debt. It's obvious, but it is not easy to do. I understand. And, and so the best thing you can do for, for this is to finally, you know, with, with your family, with your wife, or, or whoever it is that you do life with, just, just have an honest assessment and say, you know what, let's drive a stake here where we are. Let's not go any further. Life is, life just kind of gets caught up in this progress thing where you're like, I just got to keep upgrading things and, and I should have a better car in 10 years than I did when I was, you know, 20 and, and, and I should have a bigger house and, and to, you know, we, we just kind of do this progress thing. But the best thing you can do for yourself is drive a stake and say, you know what, we are not taking any more new ground. Uh, from here on out, we are going to take care of the things that we have. We're going to steward them well. 
We're going to replace things that we, we have that might get broken because the more stuff you have, the more it breaks, the more you have to replace it. But we are going to stop going for new stuff. We're, we're not going to go for the, 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 the you know, car that's one tier up. We're not going to go for the bigger house. We're, we're not going to go for another TV in yet another room of our house. We're just going to try to take care of and manage the things that we have. But that's a great way to stop the cycle of slavery. You know, f- further, if you've got a credit card problem, stop using your credit card. Start spending only cash for your your spending expenditures. We've done this in my family for, a, I don't know, at least a year or two now, and it's totally changed uh, things for us. We, we just have a much easier time managing things. You know, freeze your credit cards in a block of ice, cut them up, throw away the catalogs that come, restoration hardware, uh, Pottery Barn, all that stuff. Don't even look at them. Put them in the recycling bin right away. Uh, you've got TiVo, you've got DVR. Fast forward through the commercials right? Mute the commercials if you're old school like me and don't have a DVR. Just mute them. Don't watch them. Uh, Have a conversation, you know, with people in the room during the commercials. Uh, Find a way to avoid those things because if you didn't know you needed it until 30 seconds ago, you don't really need it, right? Just a simple life principle. But but let me tell you, this is is the hardest part is just to say, you know what? We're going to stop taking new ground. We're just going to declare that we are satisfied with where we are and we're going to try to manage this. Because there's this ad industry out there and they're telling you that the next purchase, the next thing is finally going to fulfill you. And some of you, even though we talked about this two weeks ago, you are still searching for value in things. And it's not going to be easy for you. Uh, I don't get political very often, but I get very concerned when our whole identity of, of citizens is reduced to the role of consumer. And when we're not spending enough money, the government says, here, let's write you a check so you can keep spending. Let's feed the addiction. See, I... This is an uphill battle for us sitting here in this place. I get it. But, but if you want to finally find freedom from debt, it just starts with saying, you know what? We're drawing a line here. We're done. We're going to step back and manage and replace and deal with what we have rather than acquiring more. You've got to stop the cycle of slavery. Stop incurring new debt. And for some of you, that may mean taking a step back in order to manage what you have. Here's the second one. Uh, declare your Ohio River. Declare your Ohio River. Um, how many of you have read Huck Finn? If you haven't read this book, read it again. You know, if you read it as a kid, read it as an adult. Just, man, what a great book. Um, but do you remember what the Ohio River stands for there? Uh, Huck and Jim, they're going down the Mississippi and they're trying to get to the Ohio River. Why? Freedom, right? Uh, by declare your Ohio River, I just mean, wh- wh- what does freedom look like for you? What is the destination for you? For some of you, that would be being debt-free even without a mortgage. And, you know, good for you. That, that would definitely be freedom. And yet for a lot of us, you know, for me, that's not me at this point in my life. I'd love not to have a mortgage by the age of 55. That's my goal. Uh, but before that, um, it would be really great not to have any other debt except a mortgage. Maybe for some of you, it's just getting out of credit card debt or paying off your student loans. That would be amazing. See, it's different for all of us. But what you need to do is you need to declare what freedom would look like for you, at least in the near term. Say, say what, what would make a big difference in my life? And you name that thing. I want to be free of my student loan debts. I want to make this happen. Declare it. And then begin to dream about what life would be like if you were free from that. What would you be able to do differently? How, how would you feel differently? Dream a little about what it would be like when you get to that place of greater freedom. Uh, number three, create a spending plan. In other words, a budget. Uh, And some of you are like, oh, budgets. I hate budgets. Um, You will never spend less than you make. 
You will always spend more than you make if you don't have a spending plan. Every dollar needs to have a place before you've even earned it. And here's the great thing about a spending plan. You can read a lot about this in other, in other uh, resources. But uh, here's the great thing about a spending plan. You think it's like, it, for some of you, you're just like, you, the idea of creating a budget is, is like you'd rather have your, your, your nails pulled out. You know, like you'd rather have like Chinese water torture on your head than sit down and figure out a budget because you're not a numbers person. Here's what I'll tell you about a budget. When you create a spending plan, you will immediately find freedom. And here's why. If right now, if, if you are spending money without a spending plan, every dollar you spend, there is, there is a war for that dollar. Psychologically, you're going, should I be spending this on this right now? Or maybe I should be spending it on this instead. Or maybe, right? And then you go and spend that money and then you feel guilty and it doesn't matter what you spent it on, but you're like, there's something else that maybe, maybe I should have made a different choice. Unless you're like a total sociopath and you feel no guilt. But, but for most of us, you know, there's this battle that we fight. And when you create a spending plan, all of a sudden, all you have to do is spend in accordance with the plan, and it suddenly gives you freedom. So, hey, you know what? If you want to go out to the movies or have drinks, and that's in the plan, don't feel bad about that. It's in the plan. You're spending according to the plan. It's a great freeing thing for you. Uh, in fact, um, you know, this week we're giving you a challenge. We've done a challenge every week. This one's actually pretty easy, except for those of you who hate uh, budgets and numbers. But we want you to start this week simply figuring out your assets things that are worth money, that, that have cash value or that you could sell for cash, and uh, your liabilities, your debts. Figure out what you have, what you owe, basically. And you don't have to go to micro detail, but get the big picture. And for some of you, as I say this, you are like throwing up in your mouth at this idea because you're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to know. But, but here's the thing. Nothing's going to change in your life until you look this thing in the mirror and you see where it is. So that's your challenge this week. Check your growing deeper. You should have gotten a new one on the way in. If not, grab one on the way out. Uh, that's your challenge this week. It describes that in a little bit more detail for you. You absolutely need a spending plan. Number four, create an emergency fund. Um, wh one of the great books that I read, and I commend this to you, is uh, Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. Um, I read this a few years ago. It's a great book. You know, uh, Pick this up, read it. Uh, he advocates creating an emergency fund of $1,000 right off the bat. Because he says, here's what will happen. You'll create your spending plan. You'll be in good shape. And then something will break that absolutely needs to be fixed. You'll have a flat tire. Your refrigerator will go out. And you will just have gone grocery shopping. And if you don't have an emergency fund, you will have to go back into debt. You will set yourselves back uh, if, if you don't have that money to, to spend. So he says, get $1,000 right away. And don't spend it on, a, on anything but an emergency. And, um, you know, 75% off at Nordstrom Rack, that's not an emergency, okay? Uh, it's got to be a true emergency. Create that emergency fund. It's kind of an insurance policy against Murphy's Law, okay? So create an emergency fund, $1,000. Number five, start giving something to God. Start giving something to God. This is kind of controversial amongst financial people. Uh, Ramsey actually says, you know, kind of figure out your finances and then you can give. But, but here's why I have a very different perspective, okay? If for some of you this, this topic is heavy and you're thinking like, this just wears me out. I've tried to do this. If you feel like you're, you're really in deep and this is an oppressive thing for you, then the last thing on earth that you should do is, the last thing on earth you should do is, is to wait to invite God in. See, see what happens when you give to God is you're, in, you're inviting God into your financial life. 
I'll say that again. When you start giving something to God, you're inviting God into your financial life. You can pray and say, God, please help me with my finances. And God hears those prayers. But but what happens when you actually start giving is you throw open the doors of your life and you're saying, God, this isn't just lip service. I want you to come into my life and help me figure this stuff out. I want you to come in and provide for me. And so for me, you know, I believe the Bible teaches about 10%, a tithe. I think it's a great place to be. You don't have to get there right away. But just start giving something to God and do it regularly. Do it with discipline. Do it off the top. Don't give God what is left over. But do it in faith. Do it in a way that stretches you. And here's what you'll find. You'll find that God begins to come into your life in greater ways to help you manage better the things that you have. And he may even bring resources that you currently don't have. Now, some of you right now, you you think I'm crazy. You think this is just, you know, ridiculous advice because you're so in debt. Uh, Here's what I'll tell you. Last fall, we talked a little bit about giving and why it's something that God wants for us and not from us. And uh, we gave you a challenge and we said, you know what? Just tithe, give 10% of what you make in a week today. Just try it. Some of you take this challenge. And some of you were like, no way, and you didn't do it. And some of you did it. And we heard back from some of you who did it. And I was, as, as you know, the guy sweating up here going, seriously, do it. It'll be okay. Give 10% to God. Um, you know, you, you make those things and you do it in faith and, and you just go, oh God, please, uh, you know, be faithful. And I got stories from people that absolutely just blew me away, made me feel like a man of, of tiny faith at the way that God was so faithful. Um, one, one guy uh, was sitting in, in church and uh, he said, all right, I'm going to try this. And right as he was doing this, you know, giving 10% of a week's, a week's uh, income, uh, came, this, this uh, situation came to mind in his work and it was kind of this legal battle that had been going on for, for two years and it was just this mess. And, and he goes, all right, God, I just, I'm giving this over to you. I want you to, I want you to be involved in this. And uh, he, he got home that day and he checked his email and um, he got a message from his lawyer saying, hey, this whole thing's cleared up. It's resolved. And he's like, what? Right? Now, he also had enough wisdom to say, hey, I realize it's not going to work like this every week, that all my problems aren't going away. He's like, but you know what? I realized God was showing me something, that really, when you open up your financial life to God by giving, you're inviting him in. See, see if you are deeply in debt, please don't try to do this on your own. And then ask God to come into your life once you figure it all out. No, no, no. God would love to enjoin you in the, in the, in the you know, bowels of your struggle. And so now is the time to start giving something, even if it's small, intentionally, sacrificially, regularly to God. That's your way of throwing open the doors of your life and letting God come in. I've said enough on that. Um, number six, start paying down your smallest debts first. Those of you who are financially minded will think you should start with higher interest debts because they cost you more money. That's true financially. Psychologically, pay down your smaller debts first. Because when you rip up those statements, shred those credit cards, when you check that debt off your list, it will feel great and it will motivate you to keep going. And then you you do the snowball effect thing. It's the power of momentum. And and you keep rolling what you were paying into those other debts. And pretty soon you've got a lot of money going toward debt and you're going to get out of it a lot quicker. So, So do the snowball effect. Start paying down smallest debts first. And then last, number seven, turn debt pay down into a game. You know, some of you love the game of consuming. You know, you love to be on your computer, finding the best deal, reading reviews to find the best, you know, phone or camera or, or golf club or whatever it is. Or, or you, you love the whole experience of going into the store and, and finding the right, the right outfit and, and, you know, buying it. And, and, you know, you go to your car and there's this satisfaction and it, it's like a hunt for you. You've turned it into a game. Uh, truly, you can do the same with that pay down. 
You, you can begin to turn it into a game. I remember before I joked and I said no one's like cheering when you're paying down uh, your, your mortgage or anything. You, if you think about this the right way, if you get serious about this, it can become a game for you where you're like, not only am I paying this, but I'm adding on 200 extra. Yeah, now who's talking, right? You know, like you, you can turn it into something that you're excited about because freedom is exciting. Freedom is very exciting. If you're competitively motivated, find someone else who wants to get out of debt too and set goals for yourself. Say, let's see who can pay down more debt in the next three months. Go. And uh, for those of you who are competitive, <laughs> Ryan Peterson, uh, for those of you who are competitive, um, you know, it's uh, Ryan's one of our teaching pastors. He's really competitive. Uh, obviously, I am too because I keep bringing him up. But, uh, uh, you know, find someone else you can be competitive with. Turn it into a game and it will leverage, it will leverage your energies towards getting out of debt. Here's what I know. Some of you are sitting through this and you're saying, this sounds nice, but you have tried this three, four, five, six, seven times. And, and you, just, you, you just don't think you're ever going to get free. Here's what I'd like to tell you today. Try once more. Try one more time. I can't guarantee that this time is going to work, but, but this might be the time that works. And, and it might not be this time, but it might be the next time. Just, just keep trying. One of these times, I promise you, one of these times, it's going to work. It's going to click, and you will finally begin to get free from the oppression of debt that is in your life. Now, how do I know that? Because all of heaven is on your side. In Galatians 5.1, I love these words. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I mean, that, that is profound and simple, right? Well, of course it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Free is for freedom, right? Yeah, 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 but do you hear that? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Jesus didn't come into the world only to, to give you forgiveness of sins. Jesus didn't come into the world only so that you could get to heaven someday. Jesus came into the world and he gave his life on a cross so that you could have freedom in all aspects of your life. So that you could be truly free. Spiritually, yes. Free of your sins, yes. But so that you could be free to experience the abundance of life, so you could be free of debt, so that you could experience life to the full. It is for freedom that Jesus came to set you free. That means that all of heaven is on your side. And then the writer goes on and he says, so, so you know what? Christ wants you to be free, so, so stand firm. Keep fighting. Keep trying. Try one more time. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Jesus gave his life, and he is fighting for you to be free. Don't let yourself be taken back into the grips of slavery so easily. Please, the Bible says. So maybe you've tried this 10 times, 15 times, 20 times. Try one more time. This may be the time. And you are not alone. All of heaven is standing with you. Here's the last thing I'll say. Studies show that um, when, when, you, when you get new information or you get motivated about something, you've got a window of, of less than 72 hours to apply it, to take a step. And if you don't do it within the first 72 hours, you will likely never do it. It's human nature. 72 hours. The clock is ticking. If you're someone who right now today is feeling like, this, this is my time. I need to get this right. Oh my gosh. Lord, help me. Whatever. You know. You, you owe it to yourself to take an action step. Buy a book, download one on your phone. I'll permit you to spend $15 to buy a Kindle book or whatever else you need to do. Get Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Or you can do this. This Wednesday night, it's a little bit out of the 72-hour window, but you can sign up this weekend. Uh, we've, we've got um, a, a new class starting Financial Peace University. 
Um, it begins Wednesday night, this Wednesday night. It costs a little bit money, but the money that you will save, the money that the debt that you will pay down makes the investment a very, very small thing. See, see, if today you're sitting here going, I need to do this, I don't know how, here's how. You've got to take an action step. Because it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And all of heaven is on your side fighting for you. God does not want you to be enslaved anymore, and he's here to help you. It's time for you to turn to him and to take a step and watch what he does to bring greater freedom into your life. Uh, Will you stand now? We're going to close off this service today singing just a great song. I know this talk can be heavy about debt and it can be burdensome, but we're going to remind ourselves again about the goodness of God and we're going to sing this great song about uh, how great God is and why his name is worth blessing. So raise your voice as we sing together.